please open your Bibles with me this morning to Mark chapter number 6. We're going to be reading verses 45 through 56. Mark 6, 45 to 56. Please follow along with me as I read, beginning at verse number 45. Immediately he, that's that's Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Verse 53, When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. When they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. This, dear brothers and sisters, is God's sacred word. Let's pray together. Father, we ask your blessing upon the reading of your word. Now come in your Holy Spirit's power and his power alone and do what no man can do with lofty wisdom and speech. Change us, convict us, transform us by the power of your word alone. Through the grace of Jesus Christ, we ask it in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Several, uh, several months ago when we started this sermon series in the Gospel of Mark, I said from the very beginning that Mark sets out to answer One central question, who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? And he does this by situating his gospel around three key verses, okay? Three key verses. Friends, you really might want to think about writing these down. Three key verses in Mark. Chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 8 verse 27, and chapter 15, verse 39. 1-1, one, one, 
1539. The question that Mark is trying to answer, who is Jesus Christ, that question itself is squarely positioned in the middle, straight from the lips of Jesus himself to his disciples when he says in chapter 8, verse 27, who do men say that I am? That's it. That's the question Mark is wanting to answer for anyone who reads this book, this gospel. Who do men say that Jesus is? Now, Mark actually answers that question from the very first verse when he says in chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then he closes his gospel with that very same confession in chapter 15, verse 39, when a Roman centurion, a Gentile, remember, we think that Mark was probably written to Christians suffering in Rome. He concludes this book in a manner of speaking, concludes this book. It's not the last verse of the book, but it's the end of the book. 1539, when a Roman centurion looks at the crucified Jesus and says, truly, this man was what? The Son of God. So Mark is supremely concerned with proving that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And one of the ways that he does this is by just bombarding his readers with a barrage of miracles performed by Jesus. Just one miracle after another, after another, after another. All in all, Mark actually has the highest concentration of miracles than any other gospel in the New Testament. There are 27 miracles that Mark talks about in only 16 chapters. By contrast, Matthew... His gospel, which contains 28 chapters, Matthew only mentions 33 miracles. Mark has the highest concentration, 27 and 16 chapters, and 19 of them come before that climactic question in chapter 8, verse 27, when Jesus asked his disciples, Who do men say that I am? And so all the miracles and all the teachings of Jesus that we've seen in just these first six chapters of Mark so far in our study are all driving us to that point. Is everyone tracking with me okay on this? Today we come to the 16th miracle in the Gospel of Mark. And as, as far as my estimation goes, one of the most spectacular miracles of them all. Indeed, every miracle, dear friends, is spectacular, right? Or else it wouldn't be a miracle. But some are just outrageously spectacular. One might even say over the top. How ridiculous can Jesus get? <laughs> well, here we see one such miracle today when he himself, Jesus Christ, walks on water. And as we work our way through this passage, dear friends, I want us to remember that we live in an age of 
naturalistic unbelief. And I have often said many times that the miracles of the Bible stand guard over its truth. Stands watch. The miracles are the gatekeepers of biblical truth. They rebuke our rationalism. I'm getting very warm this morning. Friends, I have to take this off. You notice we have a couple of windows open. It's New Jersey and it's May and we still have the heat on. The miracles of the Bible stand guard over its truth. They rebuke our rationalism. They, they, they call us to submit our fallible and finite intellect to an infinite God who can do anything. We say that all the time, don't we? But do we believe it? That God can do anything. But for all of our enlightenment, rationalism, and scientific advancement, the one human race is as dysfunctional, as depraved, and as lost as ever. We see it in the news all the time. I had a brother tell me this morning, he just wanted to just take his TV and throw it out the window. We see the depravity, the lostness of humanity displayed before our very eyes every single day of our lives. But we are the most advanced we've ever been. We are the most enlightened that we've ever been. But we're lost. And Jesus, in His goodness and His grace, has come to our rescue. And so the first thing that we see in this passage this morning from Mark chapter 6 is that Jesus comes to us in our distress. He comes to us in our distress. Verse 45, if you have your Bibles open, please put your attention there. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. So in the aftermath, remember last week, in the aftermath of feeding the 5,000 plus, which was probably more like 10, 12, 15,000, and you factor in the women and children, in the aftermath of this great miracle, Jesus sends the crowd home. And his disciples, he sends them to go ahead toward the western shore of the Sea of Galilee so that he could finally get along with his father to pray. You ever feel like that? Like, man, if I could just get everybody settled, I can finally get along and collect my thoughts or, or just pray. Well, that's Jesus here. And he's there on the mountain for a very long time. Mark tells us, 
verse 47, it was the start of the evening. And then by the time we get to verse 48, we find that he's actually leaving that mountain somewhere during the fourth watch of the night. Now let me do the homework for you. That would have been between 6 p.m. and 3 a.m. in the morning. So at least nine hours. And again, this is so convicting for me. Because here is the eternal Son of God losing sleep, (laughs) right? We're sleeping during these hours. What is He doing? He's praying. He's spending time with His Father, the eternal Son of God, losing sleep so that He can commune with His Father all night long. And friends, it seems like we struggle just to put in 15 minutes a day, don't we? 20 minutes. An hour, five minutes. How many days go by when we don't commune with God at all? Thank God for imputed righteousness this morning because, (laughs) dear friends, this night on that mountain, Jesus was, He was earning some righteousness for us. Because we don't pray like we should. We don't commune with God like we should. That we have a Savior who did. While he was alone praying, a sudden and and deadly storm rose up, as was common, as it often did on the Sea of Galilee, where the disciples were. Remember, they're, they're sailing across, trying to get to the other side. In verse 48 says this, Jesus saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. He saw that the disciples were struggling to get across the lake because of the storm that had come up. See, these disciples were in danger but they were never beyond the watchful eye of Jesus. And again, Bishop Ryle, Bishop J.C. Ryle, I've quoted him, seems like, uh, every week, the past month. Going to that well quite a few times, but he is so helpful here. Bishop Ryle says, quote, There are thoughts of comfort here for all true believers, wherever they may be or whatsoever their circumstances. The Lord Jesus sees them alone or in company, in sickness or in health, by sea or by land, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, the same eye which saw the disciples tossed on the lake is ever looking at us. His eye is on the sparrow, the hymn writer said, and I know that he's watching me. Friends, I don't know what you're carrying in your heart this morning. What deep, disturbing distress that you're bearing in your soul. But I want to tell you this. Jesus sees your distress. His eye is on you. Are you sitting in these pews that His eye is on you? And He will not abandon you to the storm. He won't let let you sink in that ship. 
You see, the disciples had been in this situation before, haven't they? In a violent storm in the night on the lake. But last time, what was the difference? Last time, Jesus was actually in the boat with them. Remember that? What was he doing? He was sleeping at the stern, the back of the boat. And then they woke him up and they said, Lord, do you not care if we are perishing? I think we can probably identify with that at some point in our lives. Lord, do you not care that we are sinking under the weight of life, under the pressure of our worries? But I wonder what they thought this time on the Galilee. (laughs) When... They were far away from the master of the wind who had calmed the storm with a word. The last time, he was nowhere. You couldn't see him in the storm, in the dark night, but friends, he could see them. And in their distress, Jesus starts walking. He's coming to get his boys who are about to see something even more terrifying than the Our second main thought from this text this morning is that Jesus means to show us his glory. He means to show us His glory. Verse 48 says this, About the fourth watch of the night. This would have been between 3 a.m. and 6 p.m. About the fourth watch of the night, He came to them walking on the sea. And here Mark shows us one of the most unquestionable displays of the divinity, the deity of Jesus. His language is crystal clear. This is not an optical illusion. Jesus is not walking across a sandbar on the lake. He is walking on the water, on the surface of the water, in a storm. Now the atheist scoffer, he laughs this away. He laughs it away. The liberal scholar explains it away. And yet, here this miracle sits in the middle, close to the middle, of Mark's gospel. Uniquely tied to his evidence for the identity of Jesus Christ. It defies our rationalism. It dismantles our skepticism. And in this age of unbelieving naturalism, the age of reason, post-enlightenment, whatever, (laughs) in this age of unbelieving naturalism, we need to come to terms with the reality that Christianity is a supernatural faith. We can't explain away the miracles of the Bible 
as if they were merely the superstitious, mystical claims of a pre-scientific culture. No, friends. This book is miraculous from cover to cover, from creation to consummation. And we need to embrace the Bible's supernaturalism because without it, Christianity does not exist. There is no version of Christianity that exists apart from the supernatural, divine intervention, the breaking in of God into His creation. Now the scholars who live in the high towers of academia, who were, as one brother I saw this past week on Facebook, he said, many Scholars are just fools with PhDs. They dismiss all this. They explain it away. We're doing this on Wednesday night. By the way, you guys do remember we have a Wednesday evening service here. We're watching the Lord display His glory in the Exodus, the crossing of the Red Sea. And you would be shocked to know how many Bible-believing, professing Christians deny the miracle of the Red Sea. That our faith is a miraculous faith. And this miracle backs the reader of this gospel, that's, the Christians in Rome in the first century, that's you and me in New Jersey in the 21st century, it backs us into a corner. There is no way around it. There is no explanation for this except what Mark has been trying to get us to see all along, that Jesus is doing things that only God Himself can do. Why? Because Jesus is God. But him walking on this water is about more than just the miraculous. He's not giving us something to tweet about on on the internet or to, to click it and put it on TikTok or Instagram. The mic drop moment, the jaw to the floor moment. This is more than that. It's about him showing his glory as the incarnate Son of God. I mean, he could have calmed the storm from the top of the mountain, couldn't he? He could have seen his disciples sailing around, struggling in the the wind. He could have calmed the storm with a word. But look at the end of verse 48. Mark uses a very interesting phrase. He says that Jesus meant to pass by them. This doesn't mean that Jesus was trying to pass them to get to the other side before they did. He's not using the fast lane to get around the disciples here. Mark's language is intentional. And I want want us to listen to an Old Testament text. from Exodus 33, verse 18. Moses, 
said, please, Lord, show me your glory. And he said, this is God speaking, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. I will make all my goodness, what? Pass before you. What did Jesus mean to do on the Galilee? He meant to pass by them. The Lord told Moses, I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, Yahweh. So Mark is connecting the dots here to show that, by the way, that's not the only text in the Old Testament that mentions the Lord passing by. We read one this morning from Job 9, did we not? What about Elijah when the Lord passed before Elijah in 1 Kings? There is language here, and Mark is using that language to connect the dots to show that Jesus was manifesting the very glory of God right here. This was not just a a prophet or a great teacher walking on the water by some weird way. No, it was the Lord Himself. And then in verse 49, we read, When they saw Jesus walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. <laughs> you ever thought that Jesus was a ghost? Did Jesus ever, has He ever scared you? And they cried out, for they all saw Him, and they were what? Terrified. But immediately... Remember, one of Mark's favorite terms, his favorite, one of his favorite words, immediately. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. The disciples were now experiencing something far more terrifying than the storm. They were experiencing the glory of God. You see, I fear... Far too many Christians, including myself, in the American church today, have a very tame, a very domesticated view of God. Friends, let me tell you something this morning. God is scary. He is terrifying. We say, we pray, Lord, show us your glory, but we have no idea what we're asking because the glory of God is terrifying. In Exodus 33, what did Moses, what, what, what did God do to Moses? He had to hide him in the cleft of the rock. He said, I want to, I'll let you see my, my backside as it passes by because no man can see my glory and live. And so he hides Moses in the rock. I'm reminded of that great third day song. If you 
listened to Third Day, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, then you don't. Third Day has this great song called Show Me Your Glory. I love it. Send down your presence. We want to see your face. But do we know what we're saying when we say that? Because if the Lord would show us His face, what happens in the Bible when God's glory is manifest to His people? We drop down like dead men. The glory of God is terrifying, church. And it it is not only terrifying, the glory of God comes to us in terrifying ways, like a stormy, dark night on the Galilee. Or even the stormy, dark night of our souls. I know that there are some here today who, who need the sweet presence of Jesus to settle over your soul. You're worried about something. Something is chasing you from your past, perhaps. Something is uncertain in your future. And you need Jesus to settle over your soul like when He stepped into the boat and the storm calmed. But here's the rub. Here's the rub. We all want that peace. But Jesus shows us His glory to the extent that we can handle it. He shows us His glory in the moment of our deep distress. So if we want to experience a trouble-free, comfortable life like the American dream promises, we can forget about seeing the glory of God. It's not going to happen. God comes in our despair because that's where we see who Jesus really is and where we learn to treasure Him for who He really is. Look at verse 52. Disciples, they... I'm paraphrasing it. They didn't really understand the miracle of the loaves that we talked about last week, this miracle over nature, (laughs) providing for thousands. They didn't understand it because of the hardness of their heart. So you see, blessings and provision, they don't show us Christ like hardship and suffering do. You hear that? Blessings and provision... Do not show us Christ like hardship and suffering do. It took dire straits to get the disciples to finally just begin to see who Jesus really was. They had to be in a boat away from Him, suffering under the the wind and the waves of a storm on the Galilee, Matthew 14, 33, in his version of the account, he says this. When Jesus stepped into the boat and the storm was calmed, he says, those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly this, no, truly you are the Son of God. So they started to see, in this moment of disaster, who Jesus was. 
it was becoming a little more clear to them the, 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 the loaves and the feeding of the 5,000, that didn't do it. Please don't let my daughter hear that. She'll, she'll run outside and want the ice cream. wasn't the provision and the blessing that did it. It was the suffering. It was the hardship. And friends, this is one of the fundamental truths of the Christian faith. God means to use our suffering to show us who who He really is and to display the glory of His Son Jesus in our lives. Are you suffering this morning in some way or another? We all suffer at different times and to different extents. Don't feel bad because your suffering is not as bad as the one who is about to die from a terminal illness. You may be there one day too. God uses our very degrees of suffering to show us Himself, to show us the glory of Christ. So I want to ask us this morning, are we willing to find the glory of Christ in our distress, in our despair? Are we willing to find it there? Because that's the only place it is. We're not going to see His glory when everything is sweet and comfortable and good. We'll see His glory when we're at the end of our rope. Lastly, I want us to see in this text that Jesus indiscriminately heals. I want you to highlight the word there. If you have the bullets, I don't know. I don't know if the notes are in the bulletin this week. He indiscriminately heals all who reach out in faith. Indiscriminately. Look at verse number 53. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. That's the western side of Galilee, by the way. And more to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran him out the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard that he was. Remember, last week they, they ran ahead to that desolate place. This week they see him get off the boat. They're chasing him down wherever he's going. Verse 56, And wherever he came, in villages and cities or the countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, just the hem of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. Friends, there's a lot of talk these days about discrimination. seems like everybody is claiming to be discriminated against by somebody. Some of it is probably true. A lot of it is probably not. But here's one thing that is true. Jesus does not discriminate against anyone. You forget race. I'm talking soul. He does not discriminate against the soul of anyone. When he gets off the boat here on the western shore of Galilee, the crowds start to gather around the the, the ruckus starts happening. The word gets out. The people are now bringing their sick. They're bringing sick and afflicted people and just laying them out in the streets. Wow. Man, this is a disruption. And Jesus didn't go through the village or the city or the countryside and play any, many, mighty, mo. He didn't do that, did he? 
He didn't arbitrarily touch this one or that one and leave past this one by or just... No. In fact, Mark, Mark doesn't say that Jesus touched anyone at all. <laughs> it was the people who touched Jesus. They were the ones who were doing the touching. And they was like, if we can just touch the hem of his garment, just the fringe of his clothes, the outer part of his clothes, they said, he doesn't even have to look at us. Much less touch us if we could just get close enough to him to just touch part, those tassels of his clothes. If we can get that close, we'll be healed. And friends, there's... There's way too much here to unpack it all. But beyond the immediate flurry of healing and miracles in this text, let me show you what we see. We see here a willing Savior. We talk about the free will of man. I don't care about the free will of man. I want to I know what the will of my Savior is. And He is a willing Savior who says, as it were, Here I am for you. <laughs> Come, Take all that you will. Just reach out and touch me. Man, when I read this, I almost fell out of my chair. I know he's healing sick people, but he's willing to heal sick people. And more than that, he's willing to heal the sin-sick people of our world. This is a picture of the whosoever will offer of Christ. He doesn't withhold himself to anyone who reaches out in faith. Now, be careful, because God is sovereign over salvation for sure. Yes and amen. His electing grace is the reason that anyone responds to the free offer of the gospel at all. But friends, respond, we must. We must reach out, just like these people here desperate for relief from their suffering. And we must touch the Lord Jesus Christ in desperate faith. I love the ending words of this chapter. I realized that when Mark wrote this, there were no chapters and verses, but I love the way it ends. Last verse, last few words. As many as touched it. What? The fringe of his garment. As many as touched it were made well. Wow. I'm coming away from this this morning with my jaw on the floor. I'll pick it up sometime in the middle of next week, friends. Anyone who just touches the hem of his garment made well. I wonder this morning, are you reaching out to touch Jesus today? Are you bringing the sick people in your life to Jesus? Are you laying them in the streets, as it were? I'm not talking about just the physically sick. Yes, I, I will not deny. I affirm 110,000% that Jesus heals our bodies many times. But are you bringing those who are sin sick to Jesus? I didn't ask him if you were bringing them to church. I said, are you bringing them to Jesus? I know that everyone in here has some loved one, including myself, some friend or neighbor that needs to touch Jesus by faith. 
You're going to lay him in the streets. You're going to lay her in the streets. You're going to lay that young teenager who's sailing into oblivion, the oblivion of sin. You're going to bring them to the streets in the marketplace. Just lay them down and say, friend, just, just reach out. Just touch his, his clothes as he walks by. Church, he is ready. He is willing to save all who will reach out and touch him. His life was perfect. His death was vicarious. It was substitutionary. He died in our place. His resurrection was victorious. And he lives and offers now this great salvation to all who would believe. See, friends, we are the ones this morning laying sick in the street. Our souls are burdened down with sin or perhaps they're burdened down with self-righteousness. But Jesus is here right now in this moment, and He is available to every single one of us. Just reach out in repentance and faith and just take all that you need. I want to close. You know, we read from Job chapter 9 this morning in our congregational reading earlier Job describes God as the one who tramples the waves of the sea. Job 9 verse 8. He tramples the waves of the sea. Now, if you know your Bible, you'll know that Job was suffering when he said this. Well, friends... Allow me to connect the dots explicitly for you. That's who was walking on the Galilee on this dark and stormy night. The one who tramples the sea. He tames the untamable. He calms the unconquerable. He conquers the unconquerable. (laughs) He can do anything. Friends, He is glorious. And He deserves our trust and He deserves our worship this morning. Verse 9, verse 11 of chapter 9 of the book of Job. We read it earlier. Behold, He passes by me. And I see Him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive Him. Friends, the Lord Himself is passing by us this morning. Do you perceive Him? Or are you just bored? Are you ready to go? Will you reach out and touch Him this morning, or will you reach out and touch Him on behalf of someone else this morning? 
Let's pray.